say congratulations to Mary Lane and Jimmy Stiglitz as they celebrate their 58th wedding anniversary on January 22nd. <laughs> Happy anniversary. I think it's going to last. I really do. I've got... <laughs> We're so happy for y'all. And um, marriage is kind of a calling, isn't it? If you think about it. Uh, Mary Lane was telling me a little bit about how... Uh, how did you say it, Mary Lane? That you were not door number one? Okay. <laughs> you, had to work, you had to work hard, which is awesome. Which is awesome. It was meant to be. And we're so glad about that. My question I want to ask you today is, is if somebody asks you what your call story is, what would it be? And you may think that's a funny and odd question, or maybe that that's a question reserved for ordained clergy, right? Only we get called, but that's not true. Everybody is called. So what is your call story? We're going to get into that a little bit. Will you pray with me? Lord God, help us to hear your call. Melt our hearts. Loosen up our necks. Unplug our ears, God, because we know that you call our name. And we need to hear it. And we need it now. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. So, Samuel, I mean not Samuel, Samuel's not a part of this. Simon and Andrew were casting their net in the sea because they were fishermen. Day after day, it was the same thing. Casting that net, it was the same sea, Sea of Galilee, which was really a lake, the same net, the same boat. Day after day, it was wind, water, fish, sore muscles, tired bodies. As toddlers and little children even, they probably crawled on the shore of the Sea of Galilee at daybreak to watch their dads and their granddads come in with the catch, waiting for them to sort, count, and clean all the fish. Cast the net, pull it in. Cast the net, pull it in. And if you're not casting the net, you're fixing the net from the night fishing before. Because that's what James and John were doing. Casting and mending. Casting and mending. You know about those days, right? You know about the same thing every day. Casting and mending. Now you may not be a fisherman, a fisherwoman. But we all know about casting and mending our nets. Days start to look the same. One looks like the other. Life begins to be routine. And we are dulled. We live on autopilot. Nothing changes. Next day, same thing. We don't expect much to happen because it's sort of the same thing. Casting the nets, mending the nets, casting and mending. This is our life. And we cast and mend our nets because we got to feed our family. We got to pay the bills. 
We got to gain security and get retirement. Casting and mending. Casting and mending. We got to do it to hold our family together, to make our marriage work, to grow up our children. Casting and mending to gain the things we want. We're not selfish people, but we want a good house, a reliable transportation. Every now and then we want to go to the beach. Casting and mending. Casting and mending. We do it to earn a reputation, to gain approval, to establish status. Casting and mending our way through another day of loneliness, sadness, or illness. You know about casting and mending nets, don't you? Well, most of our days in our lives are generally quiet. They're what you might even call boring. We're not, hopefully, in crisis every single day. Most of us don't need to be saved from Dante's Inferno. We just need to be saved from maybe something worse. Boredom. I'm tired of the same nets and the same wind and the same sea. Is there anything else to life. Well, these are the places, boredom. This is where God loves to walk in our lives. This is where Jesus does his best work. This is where most of the days we are, and this is where we really can hear the call to new life in the context that we can hear it, to real new life. Uh, this is where the ordinary becomes extraordinary. Someone said in one of the commentaries, it said, Jesus most often moved among the mundane and infused it with meaning. It's just what Jesus does. Jesus walks into our boredom when we're casting and mending and says, Tim, come follow me. I got something for you. Max, there's more to life the nets and mending and retirement, right? This is where Jesus does his, his best work. These are his disciples, Simon, Andrew, James, and John. And buddy, they're not looking for Jesus. They're just trying to get through the day. Believe me, being a fisherman back in the first century was not a very good job. We're, Israel was not a free market enterprise in A.D. 30. Your best fish you had to give to the rich folk in Jerusalem. The medium-sized fish you would sell at the market. And Caesar would tax it to no end. And you got the, I don't know, tadpoles to eat, to take home. It was not very fun. It was nasty work. So they were too busy to even notice that Jesus was walking into their boarding and calling out even their names. Jesus has a way, doesn't he, of showing up and some of the most ordinary and boring places in our lives, if we will listen, if we're ready. Well, that's what he did to the lives of Simon and Andrew, James and John. By the way, they probably were in the same business. Two boats, two families. There's a lot of research, and even in the Bible and other parts of the gospel, you can tell that. Follow me is Jesus' invitation to a new life. He's not saying, hey, I'm just going to give you one more task to do. He's saying, follow me and be changed. That's why he says, repent. Now, repent is a good old-fashioned religious term. Could you give me some water, Helen, or somebody? I mean, or Alan, could y'all give me some more? I'm just... I'm, um, repent 
The Greek word is metanoia. It is to change your mind. It is to change your heart and your, all of your being. Come follow me, says Jesus, and change. Change the way you look at this world. Because you're likely not going to stop being, say, a builder or an accountant. And God's not likely to ask you to change your job or change your location. But I'll tell you what God may be asking you to do is to change your perspective. And change the way you look at what you do while you're casting and mending your nets. In other words, bloom where you're planted. Come to life and know that I am walking into every part of your boredom to transform it into something better. Jesus said, I'll make you fish for people. I'll make you fishers of people. They, I love that he kind of spoke in their own lingo and that they continued to use the skills and the experience they had to make a difference as they were following Jesus. They still had to get in a boat many, many times. They still fished a little bit, I'm sure. I'll make you fish for people. He's describing a dramatic change in their lives. Those of you who are clergy in this room, and there are a few of you, I won't call you out, but uh, you know as well as I do that your calling is the most important thing you have. Right? Every time... Uh, uh, we meet with the local pastors. Now, this is a really interesting group of people. They're fascinating. These are local pastors who may be second career or for whatever reason in their lives, uh, they didn't get a chance to go to Duke or to Candler or Asbury. They didn't get a chance to go to seminary. So our state has a district committee uh, of, on ministry each. Thank you so much. Has, has Appreciate it, Helen. Um, she was called to give me water, so I appreciate that. They, they were called to preach or to do something for God, but, but, but maybe ordination wasn't their calling. And I tell you, when you get to, I wish you could be in that room when they came three weeks ago right here at St. Luke's for us to kind of check in. Because basically we're checking in with them, making sure, hey, are you taking your courses? Because there are 20 courses that you take over a span of five to eight years. There's Marcus Thomas, local pastor. It's so funny. He's got to come answer to us that he's taken a New Testament course. You know what Marcus does for a living? He's the president of Jackson State University. I think it's just so funny. He's an amazing person. He felt called to preach. Two Sundays a month, Marcus calls people, um, preaches. He's probably preaching today along with all he's got to do at Jackson State. He's an amazing, dynamic leader. There's another guy, Kenneth Rogers. Kenneth came in, lives in Starkville. He drives twice a month to a small, rural, black Methodist church, and he preaches the gospel. And um, Kenneth is um, just kind of a ray of sunshine. He grew up at Griffin United Methodist Church, which is which is the black Methodist church that you could, I mean, it is like less than a block away, right beside First Methodist Church, Starville. And he talked about a, um, a, a strong leader there that he said, this is the first, first preacher that taught me and taught the men at Griffin that it is okay and wonderful to praise God and to lift your hands and to sing. And it was just, it was just magical hearing Kenneth's call story. What do you do, Kenneth? Well, I work with the police department 
at Mississippi State. Oh, cool. So he drives down from Starkville and uh, comes down to uh, about an hour away south, which is in our district, and he preaches. Well, what do you do for the... What do you do for the police department? Oh, he said, I'm the police chief. The chief of Mississippi State? Of that campus? What's your call story? And Kenneth said, I love what I do. I love the people that we work with. And I love keeping students safe and taking care of students. I love that, he said. But my life was not complete. I knew something was missing. He said, there was a time... And they have an office under Davis Wade Stadium, the football stadium. He said, that was a day that I just knew God was calling my name. And he said, tears were running down my cheeks. I said, Kenneth, I've wept at Davis Wade Stadium too. <laughs> um, mainly after SEC football games, but that's not the point. Kenneth heard God call his name. And he could not not do what God had called him to do. He's a truck driver. Works four tens, gets home, gets out his Bible, and gets ready to preach the word of God. Now don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that God's going to call you to preach. That's not the point. But let me tell you, God is calling you to minister. And you're a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether you want to be or not. You're saying something. I feel like every worship service is a chance. I just do my little piddly sermon, but I'm trying to give you a sermon to preach, to put some thought in your head so that you know that you've got a ministry to do and a calling to take, and you've got to let go of your nets, and you've got to follow Jesus. And you may still sell cars, or be a lawyer. But that may be where you can do your best ministry. Lord knows, if you don't consider where you work a place of ministry, you're wasting 55 hours a week of, of time that you're, alive, that, that you're awake and the other people are awake. And I don't mean you have to be preachy. And I don't mean you have to try to hook people in or manipulate people. But what you do, if you're called by God and what you say, and how you react, says something about the sermon that you're preaching six times a day. You're called. You're a disciple. Follow me, Jesus says. So, the first question is, is what is your call story? And know that part of your call story is probably what you're already doing. If they were carpenters, Jesus would have probably said, Carpenter, you know, come follow me and I'll. You can be builders of the kingdom with me. If they were farmers, Jesus might have said, Follow me and you will grow God's people. If you're a teacher, Jesus may have said, Follow me and you will open minds and hearts to the presence of God. And since this is National Plumber Week, if, if you're a plumber, he might have said, Follow me. And install pipes that will never freeze up. What you've learned and what you've experienced is all part of who you are and what your calling is. Whatever your life is, however you spend your time, that's the life that Jesus says, follow me. It's the call to participate with God in God's own saving work 
It's the work of change and growth because we never stop growing. So where do you need to grow? It's about moving to a larger vision, orienting your life, repenting, changing your mind to a new direction and experiencing that our little story of life is connected to and part of God's story, God's redemptive story. As Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, Andrew, James, and John, and he called them, and they just dropped their, they just dropped their nets and they followed him. Mark doesn't, I mean, there's, immediately they did it. I mean, they were ready to quit their jobs, for sure, to let their nets go. I'm afraid that if Mark was writing about me, I would probably say, Jesus, just a moment, can I think about it? Um, can I pray about it before I do it? But they followed him immediately. Because the time is now. Was it Brene Brown has that five second deal? If God's nudging you to do something, just count to five and do it. The kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, says Jesus, there's no time to sit around. It's time to respond. Those kind of conversations don't take place. They immediately follow Jesus. The invitation is to follow me. It's also an invitation to leave behind stuff. To leave behind our nets and our boats sometimes. Even our fathers. Maybe for some of us, it's time to leave behind the people that you've been trying to impress or win the approval of, and be exactly what God's called you to be. It's a hard part for most of us because we're pretty good at accumulating and clinging to stuff. Or maybe we think, okay, before God can call me, I do need to like study up or, or get better at something, when that's not the case. Usually God's just calling us to let go of something. It could be. It could be just like an emotion or, or, or something that's stirring around in your soul that, soul that you got to let go of. Anger, resentment. The follow me is both an invitation and a promise to new life. So what nets are entangling you? What have you got your feet stuck in that you need to get out of? What are the little boats that contain your life? Who are the fathers from whom you Seek identity, value, and approval that maybe you just need to let go of. What do we need to let go of in order to claim the new? If it's not about changing careers, which it probably is not for most of us, then it's the changing the way we see things, our perspective. So how's God calling you to look at something differently? Ultimately, Really and truly, it's about letting go of your own life so that you can receive God's life. That's what it's about. Letting go of your own self-absorption so that you can absorb God in such a way that we can swing freely in this life. Because the poet is right. What are you going to do with this one wild and precious life you've been given here? You're going to fritter it away? Are you going to let yourself be bored? I don't think so. Not as long as Jesus walks into our boredom. So, it's Peter and Andrew and James and John. And now it's your turn. When God walks into your nets 
and says, come follow me. I want to close with this. I was going to sing it, but I'm not. I may, I may sing the chorus. We'll see. Jesus calls me, I will. Um, y'all know how we Methodists love uh, Here I Am, Lord? Did y'all know that our Episcopalian friends have their kind of hippie song in their hymnal that they like? Do y'all know what it is? It's actually in our hymnal, but we don't sing it as much because it's a little bit of a weird tune, which is why I'm a little reticent to sing it. But the words are beautiful. They're on page 712 or 728. See which one it is. I sing, here it is. I sing a song of the saints of God. Y'all see, y'all see that one? Somebody tell me when you find it. Oh, we do? Wow, okay. Okay, yeah. We'll sing it soon. But here's 712. And here's the reason I want to share it with you. Because, okay, so the woman that made this hymn, she wrote it in 1829. She was in England, and her husband fought in both World War I and World War II. And she thought she had just a boring little life. But on the side, she wrote hymns. She was real active in the little theater somewhere not far from London. And she wrote a lot of hymns, and she was almost embarrassed that this is the one that most people wanted to sing. But this is the one I love. I sing a song of the saints of God, patient and brave and true, who toiled and fought and lived and died for the Lord they loved and knew. And one was a doctor, and one was a queen, and one was a shepherdess on the green. They were all of them saints of God, and I mean God helping to be one too. They love their Lord so dear, so dear. And God's love made them strong. And they followed the right for Jesus' sake the whole of their good lives long. And one was a soldier. And one was a priest. And one was slain by a fierce wild beast. And there's not any reason, no, not the least, why I shouldn't be one too. This third verse... I'm doing the original because since she's English, she loves tea parties. And so that's the tea thing that I like. But read along still in yours. They live not only in ages past. There are hundreds of thousands still. The world is bright with the joyous saints who love Jesus, who love to do Jesus will. You can meet him at school or in lanes or at sea, in church or in trains or in shops or at tea. For the saints of God are just folk like me. And I mean to be one too. You're a saint. And you've been called. So respond now. Let us pray. Lord, if there's anybody here struggling with their call, comfort them. And give them the humility to reach out and ask. If there is somebody who's wrestling with the call to go into the pastoral ordained ministry. I pray that you would lay that upon their heart. But for so many of the rest of us, God. In what we do. The normal, boring things of life. May you walk in on their days. Just as you did on Andrew and Simon's days. And may it change their lives and all of our lives so that we know 
that we are called to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.